The gospel today is taken from Luke 4, 21 to 30. And he began by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal thyself. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious that they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Christ. And now, the, may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Before we discuss today's Gospel, I want to go back to the Old Testament reading for just a moment and read from chapter one, uh, chapter one, verse four. The, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I feel that we as a congregation need to make mention of this passage and address the issue of the sanctity of life. We had planned to cover that subject a couple of weeks ago when we had uh, the storm and we didn't have church that day. But in a world where more and more the world is rejecting the importance of life and the rights of women supersede, if you will, the rights of unborn babies to live. The message that God gave to humanity when he created Adam and Eve was to go back and go and reproduce. The fact that people are reproducing outside of wedlock was not part of God's plan. The fact that people are being careless with their lives in making decisions 
to take part in sexual activity does not allow people to use abortion as a method of birth control. It is detestable that we see in the news almost on a daily basis now since the state of New York has made it legal to abort a child, really not abort at this point, to kill, murder a child, even during childbirth. In the ninth month, if the mother is giving birth. I did a bit of research on that. What they're doing is make sure that the child is brought out of the birth canal, feet first, leaving the head in while they go through the process of killing the child. We as a church, as a group of believers, need to voice our opinion here officially and in our private lives to our friends and neighbors that God sanctifies life. Life never begins. Life continues. Nobody has yet developed the beginning of life. When you have life in the womb of a woman, that life comes all the way from the creation and is continued. Nobody has the right to take that away. I believe that God will hold the world responsible for what is being done to these innocent babies. And I hope that we as Christians can take a stand when and if we have an opportunity and be part of this discussion. Let us turn our attention now to Luke chapter 4. Verse 21 to 30. We read last week, we studied about the acceptable year of the Lord and the year of Jubilee. The year of the Jubilee was every 50 years, after 49 years of seven years of Sabbath, when the year, when the land had the Sabbath year, every seventh year. And the 40, after 49 years, the 50th year, was a time of forgiveness, where all debts were forgiven, lands returned, slaves freed. And there was no planting or harvesting any fields or any orchards. Jesus here talked to the Jews in the synagogue about the importance of the day of Jubilee, and he said that I have now come to fulfill that Jubilee year because Jesus was a fulfillment whereby people's sins and, and debts were forgiven, our, our debt to sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. So that debt to sin, that was death, was forgiven at the coming of Christ. This was the jubilee year for the entire world. And as part of that sermon, Jesus now comes, and after the sermon is is complete. He says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then we hear 
the people, in verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from him. This now is after church, after the meeting in the synagogue, the worship. You know, it's customary in most churches to analyze a sermon. People go home and over lunch to talk about what the pastor said, what was good, what was bad. In some churches, they spend time criticizing. In some churches, they appreciate. Depends on the family, depends on the people. And depends on the pastor and the sermon. This here now, Jesus has completed the message and people now obviously are talking among themselves after and they're saying, what a great sermon. How nice it was that Jesus said loving things. He didn't chastise. He said, this is the fulfillment. This is the time of forgiveness. And they appreciate this. And somebody said, isn't this the son of Joseph? How is it that he's so eloquent? How is it that he knows so much about Scripture? Joseph was just a handyman. He was just a, a craftsman. He worked with his hands. He was not a teacher. He was not a rabbi. This man is well-versed. And they became curious about Jesus. And in their heart, in their, in their curiosity, was the question of who he really was. And the answer was, he's just the son of Joseph. Now, you know, in Matthew, when Jesus is asked, are you the Messiah, or should we look for another? The disciples of John have come and they said, uh, John the Baptist have come and said, are you the Messiah, should we look for another? And Jesus answered and said, don't you see the miracles that are taking place? And Jesus has said more than once, the miracles testify to who he is and his word is what saves the people from their sins. Now, he has spoken, but there is no verification of his authority to speak. And in order to get that evidence of his authority to speak in the minds of the people, they say, all right, let's see if he can really do miracles or not. He has spoken. But the word needs verifying. They're thinking in their hearts, how then do we know that he really has authority? He's only the son of Joseph. Jesus reads this. He knows what's happening. He understands what is in their hearts. Verse 23, Jesus responds to that unasked question. The question is not verbalized. Surely, he said, you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal thyself. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Physician, if you really are a physician, show us. Prove that you are. This is what's in their heart. And Jesus knows it. And he says, show us what you have done in Capernaum. Capernaum, by the way, uh, I believe the, 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 the proper pronunciation is Capernaum. 
This means the town of Nahum, the prophet Nahum. This is, uh, the town is named after him. The town of Nahum. But we use our English version, Capernaum. And he said, we have heard that in Capernaum, Jesus had made Capernaum his headquarters. Capernaum was a town where a great number of the Jewish sol uh, the, the Roman soldiers were housed. And from Capernaum, the soldiers would go to various parts of the Roman Empire. And Jesus chose Capernaum as his headquarters. Some believe that the reason was that from there, when he did miracles, the stories of his miracles and his words would travel to the world through the, trans the transference of the Roman soldiers. We don't know. We don't have evidence of that, but there are some commentators who believe that to be true. He said, do here in your hometown. Do here what you've been doing over there. We heard about, well, we didn't see anything. So why don't you prove who you are? Jesus here gives an interesting answer. He says, I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. Nobody appreciates their own prophets or preachers. Oh, look at that over there. Look at that over there, but not their own. So Jesus is telling them, no, you just don't. I assure you, there were many widows in Israel. He goes now to 1 Kings. 1 Kings, chapter 18, it talks about the famine in Israel for three and a half years. I assure you there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut down for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of those widows but to one widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. The region of Sidon was outside the Jewish domain. It was a place of Gentiles where non-believers lived. Elijah was not sent to the widows of Israel to help them because the widows didn't have someone to supply their needs. God chose a non-believing widow to send Elijah to where he could save her three and a half years. And do you remember the story of what happened there? Her oil for cooking and the flour for making bread and the food never ran out. So there was famine all over the land, but this one non-believing widow had food in her house by a miracle of God. Then he says in 2 Kings, he talks about it. He says, and look at Nahum. There were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha, another great prophet. Yet, not one of them was cleansed except Naaman, and he says, from Syria. He mentions the widow and where she was from, and he mentions Naaman, and he says where Naaman is from to make a point. And what is the point? Naaman was also a non-Jew. He was a non-believer. He says God could have used Elisha to heal many other lepers. You remember the story? Naaman went to the prophet Elisha. He says, listen. In fact, the, 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 the servant of Naaman 
told Naaman, there's a prophet. We ought to go see him. And I believe the, that the servant said that he can heal you. So Naaman went in faith. And Elisha told him, you go to the river and you go into the water seven times. You will be healed. And sure enough, he was healed. When Jesus makes the point, the point that he is making is this. That the people who are part of the kingdom, if you will, people that are chosen, ought not to have a negative attitude and a bad, hateful attitude toward those that are non-believers. Because God loves all people. The point that he's making here is a verification of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And what was what? Through you I will bless how many nations? All nations. So when God chose the Jews as a special people, he did not choose them to be special in themselves and for themselves. They were chosen as a special people to fulfill a mission. And what was that mission? For the children of Israel to become rich and strong and powerful? Was that the mission? Was that the objective? The objective was to bless all nations. That is where they were supposed to go. But instead, the Jews end up hating and despising the non-Jews. And this is what we see here that Jesus is confronted with. They hate those that are non-Jews. They look down upon them because they are God's chosen people. They are special. They are blessed. They are protected. Everybody else out there, not so special. Jesus makes that point. That the entire plan of salvation was for the entire world from start to finish. And the chosen people were only an instrument to finish God's work. That was the plan. And what is the response of the people? They want to kill Jesus for showing them that God loves the non-believers. They want to kill him. Although just a little while ago they said, oh, what a great sermon. What beautiful words. They were praising his sermon. Now when he points out that they have to be loving to non-believers, they want to kill them. I have to ask the question, what is the attitude of the people of God? You know, we are commonly taught that after the resurrection of Jesus, and more specifically after Pentecost, the Jewish nation was no longer held as a special nation because the work of the remnant was done. And therefore, even the Gentiles could become part of the kingdom. There are those who mark that date of God actually 
stopping or concluding or fulfilling the work of the Jews to the year A.D. 70, because that's when the temple was destroyed, and to the stoning of Stephen when, the, when Stephen was killed by the Jews for preaching the Messiah. Now, see, after that, the gospel became available to everybody. And it did. But it's not that everybody became remnant and became part of that closed group. It's the other way around. That that group became bigger. And those that joined that new group, if you will, the body of Christ, they then were given the mission that was originally given to the Jews to save the world. Do you understand? The Jews were the remnant. Now those that became part of the church became the body of who? Christ. So, although the gospel plan was complete at the resurrection, and the resurrection assured us of our salvation and eternal life. The work of spreading the gospel was only just starting. Because then Jesus said, Go ye therefore, what? Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's Matthew 28. The last thing Jesus said. And before he said it, he said, All power in heaven and earth is given to me. Go ye therefore. In other words, the power that Jesus makes available to you and I is not that we may ask God to make me rich and successful and famous and fix my health and make sure that I live to be 150 years old. That's not the reason that God gave us the power. Don't be mistaken. The power was given to preach the gospel to those that don't have it. Question. Does the church today have an attitude toward non-believers that is similar to the attitude that the Jews had at that place in Je with Jesus? God loves every human being. And God desires that how many would be saved? All would be saved. And that responsibility falls on every believer. That's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, you should desire that we all prophesy. That prophesying doesn't mean that we foretell the future, but that we speak, that we proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Not necessarily from a pulpit, but in our lives, wherever we are. The work of the Jews has been transferred to every believer to take the message of Jesus Christ. And we can only do that if we have love and affection for the non-believers as we do for ourselves and for our family. That we may talk about Jesus Christ and salvation through him to everybody that we know. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. But when the Spirit of God comes into us, it becomes easy to do. You remember what happened to Peter? That same guy who ran off and hid when Jesus was being tried in the court of Caiaphas. 
Jesus, Peter said, I don't know that man. That same Peter, when he was thrown in prison, was told to shut up, don't say anything. But he kept on preaching even in prison. He was converting the soldiers, the guards. He was brought before the Sanhedrin and said, be quiet. He says, we cannot be quiet. But we have to preach what we have seen and what we have heard. If we have met the Lord Jesus Christ, we can't help but talk about him. And if we're not, then perhaps we should examine our lives to see what kind of relationship we have with the Lord. You and me, we're all in the same boat. We pray God would save us and give us the spirit that we may be able to profess our faith through our works and through our deeds, that people may come to the cross of Jesus Christ by what they hear from us. May God grant that he give us the strength, the power of that spirit, that we may, be, we may be able to use it to take it to all ends of the earth and start with our homes and at our own neighborhoods. Amen.